This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. If you doubt the impact your individual actions can have on slowing climate change, well, you're not alone. A recent poll from the Associated Press and the Nork Center for Public Affairs Research shows that only 52% of Americans surveyed think that their actions have any impact. And that's down from a similar poll three years ago. Here to help us understand these findings is John Kotcher. He's a professor at George Mason University who studies how people respond to engagement from scientists. Welcome, Professor Kotcher. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Kim Cobb. She is the director of the Institute at Brown for Environment and Society and is a professor of Earth, Environmental, and Planetary Sciences. Hi, Professor Cobb. Hi, great to be here. And we're taking your calls. Tell us, do you think that your individual eco-friendly actions actually slow climate change? Call us now at 866-915-WBEZ. Again, that number is 866-915-WBEZ. Professor Kotcher, let me start with you. What do you think, first of all, about these findings? So I think one thing that's interesting is, you know, this, as you mentioned, this decrease in people's perception of their ability to actually have an individual effect on climate change. And I think, you know, part of Maybe the most intuitive explanation there is that people are just simply hurting more financially today than they were back in 2019. And as a result, they see climate change as a lower priority because of more immediate economic concerns. Um, But actually, research has found limited evidence for that uh, explanation. And what it suggests is that more important than the, the sort of larger economic conditions is the messages we're hearing from our politicians. And so in this sense, uh, when the prior survey was collected back in 2019, it was a different environment because this was when the Democratic presidential primary was really starting to kick into high gear. Mm-hmm. And you had cam- candidates that were competing with each other to see who who could come up with the most ambitious climate plan. So it was there was just more emphasis on the issue. Um, and also there's this idea that Sometimes public opinion works like a thermostat, that when the leaders in power aren't doing enough on certain issues, people respond by telling them to hit the gas pedal. And if they think they're doing too much, they tell them to hit the brakes. And obviously, in 2019, we had a different person occupying the White House. And at the time, the idea of serious climate action at the federal level was basically a non-starter to them. So it makes sense that people might have felt back then like there was a bigger role for individuals to play compared to today, where they might understandably feel like the ball is more in Democrats' court. Yeah, we should note people in this poll, uh, people doubt both their personal impact on climate change, as well as whose responsibility it is to address it. How concerned does that make you, Professor Cobb? Well, certainly, I think, you know, we've seen over time, to put these kind of trends into context, um, pretty dramatic upticks in the number of Americans who believe that global warming is happening, now a, a large majority, to the number of people who are concerned about it, also now a large majority. And so I think we can kind of try to understand what's happened between then and now. And I think we can't really discuss that without recognizing the potential role for the pandemic in in disrupting people's lives and capacity to act on things that they might otherwise have deemed extremely important or of direct concern to them. And so I think one thing that I take from these polls is that uh, people, uh, it's not that people have uh, fallen away from an inherent concern about this issue or desire for solutions. In fact, many recent polls continue to reiterate 
that Americans want to see any number of different solutions acted upon. And especially, of course, this poll reminds us of the importance of the federal government action. So as uh, the previous speaker was alluding to, the fact that we have an administration office that has um, staked their uh, success on climate action, yeah. I think they're all eyes on them right now, rightfully so. And of course, that has paid off. We've got a number of listeners who want to chime in. So let's jump to the phones to talk with Brad in Elk Grove Village. Hey, Brad, welcome to Reset. Um, yeah, my comment basically is that uh, addressing climate change goes to the heart of what um, part of the American exceptionalism that we have wide open freedom. And I just think that, you know, in terms of bigger homes, bigger this, bigger that, that obviously is a problem. Plus, people's responsibility when they buy things at a store, you know, new things, when they buy things on Amazon or what have you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Alibaba, you know, the brand new, you know, there's a whole thing of the energy it takes to produce those versus, say, shopping at a secondhand store, which is not without its own carbon footprint because it takes thought to bring stuff there. But again, I think, you know, people's expectations of having to have everything brand new. Right. You know, things like that. And I'll leave, I'll I'll let you go run with that. Well, thank you, Brad. Appreciate your call. So you're saying that we are all responsible. Uh, Let's hear from Jeff in Glenview, who I think has a different take. Hey, Jeff. Good morning. Um, I I do have a different take. Um, We need to recognize our own personal responsibility, but we must also realize that we have not been given choices. Our choices have been restricted by the fossil fuel companies, and they are the ones that are responsible for global warming. This whole idea of an individual carbon footprint was an invention of British Petroleum and Ogilvy Mather intended to divert attention from the role of the fossil fuel companies and make it look like we, the consumers, are responsible for this, and we're not. This is the same thing that they did with plastics and recycling to make it an individual responsibility instead of the responsibility of the same corporations, petrochemical corporations, Mm -hmm. that are responsible for carbon dioxide emissions that are warming the planet. Thank you for sharing your thoughts, Jeff. Professor Kotcher, what do you think? So we've got Brad, who says we're all responsible, and Jeff, who says we are not individually responsible. Well, I think they both raise important points. Um, You know, oftentimes action on climate change tends to get framed as, you know, is it a matter of personal responsibility to lower your own carbon footprint? Or is it the job of government or corporations and industry? And I, I think ultimately, the, I, you know, the answer is that it's both, right? Um, you know, there's these, these are really actions that should be thought of as complements to one another rather than as substitutes. And so, um, you know, one of the things that individuals can do um, beyond simply just uh, 
you know, changing their lifestyle and turning off the lights when they leave the room. More important is how they vote in the, the voting booth for elected officials that are willing to actually make larger scale systemic changes and, yeah. and also how they vote with their wallets and in shaping the behavior of, of companies and, and how they um, green not just their products, but also their operations. And, and what we've seen in our research is that people want to see corporations uh, also just be good citizens, right? We found in uh, one of our recent surveys that 65% of Americans think that companies uh, should stop making campaign contributions to political candidates that oppose climate action. So there's really more that um, corporations and industry can do beyond simply just providing more eco-friendly products and services. Professor Cobb, I'll get you to weigh in as well. And I want to throw this stat at you. Over 60% of Americans polled do believe that climate change is caused by human activity, at least in part. What do you have to say to the 27% of folks who think climate change is caused in equal part by humans and changes in the natural environment? And to that other 5% who think it's caused only by natural changes in the environment? Well, I mean, obviously, I think we're seeing some staggering headlines in recent weeks. Um, Just Mother Nature could not be speaking any more clearly right now about the clear and present danger that climate change poses to every community in America and, of course, um, every living thing on our planet. So, you know, this is something that has been uh, long established by decades of research and is now, of course, crept into the headlines, into our daily awareness, into our daily consideration of uh, things like fuel prices and and prices of food and and water resource management, um, geopolitical landscapes. Uh, this this is something that nobody can uh, ignore anymore. And, you know, one of the statistics that I want to come back to this discussion about the role of individuals is not only reiterating the point that Professor Kotcher talked about with uh, the importance of, of putting your vote to work for climate action. We've seen just how important that was with the recent passage by a razor-thin margin in, in the Congress about for the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, and then that act in itself is a reminder of the importance of individuals and Uh, in the marketplace with a bevy of incentives and credits that are designed to lure individuals to act on climate and make it that much more affordable, lower the barrier to entry, and remind the corporations who control supply chains and, uh, you know, manufacturing processes that they're going to be held accountable as part of this low-carbon transition. They're going to sweeten those deals, make deep investments in their transition. Mm -hmm. And so this is an example of a piece of legislation that's quite comprehensive in tapping a role for individuals to act on their values and beliefs and concerns while reminding the marketplace that they have a very strong role to play and that the federal government can broker this bottom-up and top-down approach to climate action with vast economic wins on the other side of this. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about Americans' perception of their own responsibility and ability to address climate change. And we're taking your calls, too. So tell us, whose responsibility do you think it is to address climate change? Our number is 866-915-WBEZ. And our guests are John Kotcher, who's a professor with George Mason University's Center for Climate Change Communication, and Kim Cobb, who's director of the Institute at Brown for Environment and Society. Let's go back to the phones. Here is DJ in Barrington. Hi, DJ. What are your thoughts? Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, 
I do believe very much that we are personally responsible to an extent. Um, for years, I tried to be plastic-free grocery shopping, and it was very challenging. And then when the pandemic hit, all of a sudden, everything became wrapped in plastic and the individual items went away. And it's hard when our options are so limited. It's, we, I'm trying, <laughs> but we're not being provided with, with the items that would help to get us that um, more carbon-neutral kind of a lifestyle. Good point. What do you think, Professor Kotcher? Yeah, so I think that's that's absolutely right. So as as we've discussed, there's there's certainly a role in for individuals in pressuring companies to provide you know uh, products and services that are more friendly towards the climate. And what we find in our own research is that about a th- only about a third of Americans say that they've engaged in some sort of uh, consumer activism, meaning rewarding companies that are taking steps to reduce global warming by buying their products or punishing companies by not buying their products mm-hmm. if they're opposing steps to reduce global warming. But when we ask people, you know, for those who aren't taking any any sorts of, uh, you know, purchasing deci- decisions in that way, when we ask them, you know, what, what are the reasons that you aren't uh, rewarding or punishing companies? The number one reason is they simply don't know which companies to punish. And so, you know, for those who, who want to help people make more environmentally responsible decisions, a simple way to do so is to, to help educate them, provide them with more information about which companies are, are doing a good job and which ones aren't doing such a good job. Yeah. Professor Cobb, you know, as a scientist, there's this idea, right, that if you present data that governments are going to take it into account when making policy. But that hasn't happened. So w- what is that like? How do you sit with that? <laughs> it's it's deeply, deeply frustrating, as you might imagine. I was part of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change uh, recent assessment report that just came out in 2021. And, you know, while it is being put to work, uh, it's certainly not being put to work quickly enough. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that is, of course, borne out over the decades of such reports. Um, and I think one thing I'd like to kind of weigh in on is some aspects of my own personal experience um, in kind of grappling with this. And one thing that um, your question reminds me of is that certainly as a scientist, I don't feel like being a climate scientist is enough <laughs> right uh-huh. now. And that's been about 10 years of a realization. And it has really driven me to align my lifestyle with my values and to um, start to account for the carbon in my own life and shave it off, not because uh, I want to do so to get pets on the back from anybody, but just because it's a way of living in alignment. And I also discover some um, ways that I've been able to impact uh, other people in making similar kinds of decisions. For example, I, I stopped flying several years ago, and I've solar panels on my roof, and in some cases, very privileged to be able to make those kinds of decisions. Um, but it's something that has brought me deep rewards beyond uh, my scientific enterprise, engaging in mm-hmm. deeper levels of system thinking about climate action. But I want to come back to something that w- the last um, listener was talking about in terms of, you know, what kind of options do we have? I think all too often we think about, you know, our personal carbon footprint and we think about what we're doing right or wrong and we may feel shame, we may feel um, excited depending on how things are going. But what we're doing is also leaving off the hook our agents as uh, organizational entities, whether it's our employers, our children's school, our church, 
or any other community organization we're involved in, in terms of asking how can groups of people come together that already come together in shared purpose and think about engaging in climate action. And and this is something I hope the listeners can, uh, you know, perk up at because these organizations control levers that would make your and my individual carbon footprint look like, you know, crumbs on the floor. And so this is where I think we need to start reaching as individuals who care and come together and do things together, because that's what's going to win in the long run is is targeting that kind of mid-level. Let's hear for one last caller. Here's Becky in Uptown. Hey, Becky. Hi. I actually would like to to make two comments. Um, The first one is to the professor's comment right now about community coming together And I'd like to highlight the work of what used to be called United Methodist Women is now called United Women in Faith. Okay. And they have a program called Just Energy for All. And they really look at different ways um, that this can um, make collective um, decisions and what is best. And so I know that women have been involved in petitions. Um, but I can also say, too, that, you know, it it does impact people at the local level and mm-hmm. their own decisions. And um, I'm a re- I, I own a condo, so I can't really do the heat pump or the solar panels. Mm-hmm. And um, I choose to use public transportation. But one of the things that I looked at recently were my own food miles. And I'm going to put Trader Joe's on the hook here that their business model is one where they fly in food from all around the world. Yeah. And I looked at that and I went, you know, I don't need to be traveling these food miles. Yeah. And so I really decided that there are very few items that I will buy there for consumption. And I, and, and I love, I love so many of their foods, yeah. you know. It's, but but food miles are, are, as you said, you know, very important to, to pay attention to. Good point. Something I certainly hadn't thought about, Becky. Thank you for calling. Uh, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with John Kotcher, who's a professor with George Mason University's Center for Climate Change Communication, and Kim Cobb, who's director of the Institute at Brown for Environment and Society. Thank you both. And thank you, callers. If you did not get a chance to get your comments on air and you'd still love to share them with us, we would love to be able to play them maybe on tomorrow's show. Our voicemail is 888-915-9945. Go ahead and call and leave us a voicemail at 888-915-9945. And thank you. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.